Namaste, Saswati Deve, Govani Pajayne, Nevishisha Shunivari, Pasadari, Shatarine, Vanshakapa, Trivasha, Kripas, and Nivevata, Paditanam Pavadebu, Vaishnavebu, Namonama, Jai Shri Krishna, Tetanya, Pabunityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadada, Shri Vasadi, Govaktavanda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Yes, so thank you very much for allowing me to share a few little thoughts and realizations today. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So today we finish this chapter of the sixth canto, seventh chapter, and we read verse 39 and also 40, since the 40th verse has no purport. Surat Visham Shriyam Guptam Surat Visham Shriyam Guptam Aushanasya Pividyaya Aushanasya Pividyaya Achidyadan Mahendraya Achidyadan Mahendraya Vaishnavya Vidyaya Vibhu Vaishnavya Vidyaya Vibhu Suradvisham Shriyam Guptam Aushanasya Pividyaya Ashidyadan Mahendraya Vaishnavyam Vidyaya Vibhu Suradvisham Of the enemies of the demigods Shriyam, the opulence. Guptam, protected. Aushanyasya, of Sukhachaya. Api, although. Vidyaya, by the talents. Achidya, collecting. Adat, delivered. Maha Indraya, unto King Indra, Vaishnavya of Lord Vishnu, Vidyaya by a prayer, Vibhu, the most powerful Vishwarupa. Translation by Srila Prabhupada. The opulence of the demons who are generally known as the enemies of the demigods, was protected by the talents and tactics of Sukhachaya. But Vishwarupa, who was most powerful, composed a protective prayer known as the Narayan Kavacha. By this intelligent mantra, he took away the opulence of the demons and gave it to Mahendra, the king of heaven. The distinction between the demigods, devas, and demons, asuras, is that the demigods are all devotees of Lord Vishnu, whereas the demons are devotees of demigods like Lord Shiva, Goddess Kali, and Goddess Durga. 
Sometimes the demons are also devotees of Lord Brahma. For example, Hiranyakashipu was a devotee of Lord Brahma. Ravanam was a devotee of Lord Shiva. And Mahishasura was a devotee of Goddess Durga. The demigods are devotees of, the, of Lord Vishnu, Vishnu Bhakta, Smito Daiva. Whereas the demons, Asuras Tadvipayaya, are always against the Vishnu Bhaktas or Vaishnavas. <coughs> to oppose the Vaishnavas, the demons become devotees of Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, Kali, Durga, and so on. In the days of yore, many long years ago, there was animosity between the Devas and the Asuras, and the same spirit still continues, for the devotees of Lord Shiva and Goddess Durga are always envious of Vaishnavas, who are devotees of Lord Vishnu. The strain between the devotees and Lord Shiva and the Lord, sorry, the strain between the devotees of Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu has always existed, and the higher planetary systems. Fights between the demons and the demigods continue for a long, long time. Here we see that Vishwarup made for the demigods a protective covering, saturated with a Vishnu mantra. Sometimes the Vishnu mantra is called Vishnu Dra, and the Shiva mantra is called Shiva Dra. We find in the Shastras that sometimes the Shiva Dra and Vishnu Dra are employed in the fights between the demons and the devotees. The word Suradvisham, <coughs> which in this verse means of the enemies of the demigods, also refers to the atheists. <coughs> Srimad Bhagavatam elsewhere says that Lord Buddha appeared for the purpose of bewildering the demons or atheists. The Supreme Personality of Godhead always awards his benediction to devotees. The Lord himself confirms this in Bhagavad Gita 9.31. Konteya padijanihi name bhakta pranasyati. O son of Kunti, declare boldly that my devotee never perishes. So now we read the verse 40 also, which concludes this chapter and has no purport. I just read the translation. Vishwarup, who was most liberal, spoke to King Indra Sahasraksha, the secret hymn that protected Indra and conquered the military power of the demons. So, this purport, purport gives quite a nice conclusion of the whole chapter, illustrating how demigods, demons, this fight, it is actually almost like an eternal principle of life in the material world, right? There's always this fight between the demoniac and the divine, and it's going on perpetually, right? And interesting how Prabhupada describes, he, he almost defines what it means, demoniac, and what it is. So that's quite a bit of a challenge, right? Because especially, you know, in the Hindu population, so many people worship the demigods, you know? So we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit and try to get some deep, deeper insights. So and interesting to see the de demons they worship the demigods, even though the demigods are actually Vishnu Bhaktas. But as Prabhupada says, they, they worship the um, demigods in order to oppose the Vaishnavas. You know, Prabhupada makes this point, where is it? To oppose the Vaishnavas, the demons become devotees of Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, Kali, Durga, and so on. So it's almost their, their tactic that they worship the demigods 
who are devotees of Lord Vishnu, just to get some empowerment, and then they use it against the Vaishnavas. So, of course, we also have to understand there is different two kinds of worshippers of, for example, demigods, Lord Shiva. So one kind is where the person simply respects and appreciates and honors their position as devotees because they play quite an important role. They have all kinds of higher positions there in the whole management of the universe. So we can worship Lord Shiva as the best of the Vaishnavas, right? Whereas the demoniac way of worshiping the demigods is to get something in return for some power, some sense gratification, right? So actually between the demons and the, the demigods, there is almost a kind of business deal going on. Because interesting to understand, even the demigods, they are not pure devotees. You know, there's Prabhupada says this in one one purport very in a very straightforward way. He says, You should know very well that even among the demigods there are many unwanted desires. So the demigods are not pure devotees, and actually they are attached to being worshipped. They like to be honored and worshipped. So and therefore, just to make sure the worship continues, they like to give material benedictions. So there is this business deal going on. And actually, Prahlad Maharaj describes this very nicely when he um, tells us what, what it means to be a pure servant and a pure master. So this is also interesting for us, that we learn to become pure masters if we are in some kind of a higher position. So, um, yeah, this is Pallad Maharaj speaking when Lord Nishingadev actually wanted to offer him a benediction. Then Pallad Maharaj says, where is it? He says, one who desires some material benefit in exchange for devotional service cannot be your pure devotee. Indeed, he is no better than a merchant who wants profit in exchange for service. Yes, so that's what it means. That's the mentality of the demons. You know, let's be clear, they're not worshipping the demigods because they want to be pure selfless bhaktas of the demigods. No, they're highly materially motivated, you know, yes. So, and therefore, we can't even call them in one sense devotees of the demigods because they're not truly selflessly devoted to serving the demigods. No, they're highly materially motivated. They want, they're trying to do a business deal so I worship you, and you give me some power. So, and then Prahlad March continues. A servant who desires material profit from his master is certainly not a qualified servant or pure devotee. Similarly, a master who bestows benedictions upon his servant because of a desire to maintain a prestigious position as master is also not a pure master. Right? You get the point? So that's the position of the demigods, actually. They are not pure masters because they like to give the benedictions just to establish and maintain their prestigious position as masters. So in this way, there is the subtle business deal going on between the, demig uh, the demons and the demigods, right? And interestingly, 
actually as soon as soon as we have some um, fruit of mentality that we want to enjoy separately from the Lord, that is already in a most subtle way a demoniac inclination, actually. You know? If we want to define what it means, demoniac, well, we probably all don't look so good then, you know? <laughs> because we we still all have material desires to enjoy separately in forgetfulness of Krishna, right? And that is already a demoniac tendency, actually, in its most, in its most subtle definition. So that's why worshippers of the demigods, depending on how attached they are, to be empowered and use that power then, or whether it is, you know, in a more subtle way, that desire for enjoyment. But nevertheless, that's why Prabhupada defines them as asuras. And only, you know, true worshippers of Lord Vishnu who should not be approached with you know, wanting to have something in return. You know, Krishna um, doesn't really like to engage in this business deal. Or oh, I'm chanting so nicely, so now you please give me some pious life and, and, and a new car, a nice wife, whatever it may be. No, Krishna uh, is not engaging in such kind of business deal. And that's why you know, especially in amongst the Hindu uh, communities around the world, we don't find as many Krishna bhaktas as we find bhaktas of Lord Shiva, Durga, and, 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 you know, because of this fruitive mentality. Whereas Krishna bhakta, um, that is, we are aspiring for pure service, not, not wanting something in return. And interestingly, you know, very often we can observe amongst those demoniac personalities who worship um, the demigods, they often use their empowerment against them. Right? Yes. We have the example of Rikasura, not Vitrasura, but Rikasura, who worshipped Lord Shiva. And Lord Shiva gave him the benediction that whoever's head he will touch, the head will fall off. So what is he doing? He immediately wants to try it on Lord Shiva, who gave him the benediction. I mean, my God, you know, that is really envious and demoniac, right? Yes, yes. And in that whole Leela, Prabhupada actually describes that this is the mentality of a materialist that as soon as he gets a little bit of empowerment, immediately he wants to use it against that person who empowered him. You know? And similar situation is also with Hiranyakashipu. You know, he actually had a lot of knowledge. I mean, in one week we are celebrating Nishinga Chadudasi, about Nishinga Dev's appearance, so we can already meditate and tune a little bit in. So, um, yes, I mean, Hiranyakashipu, when you read the whole Leela, he actually had a lot of knowledge. You know, it was not that he was dumb or uneducated. He, he knew the Shastra, actually, you know. But all his so-called glorifications and worship towards Lord Brahma was simply to become more powerful than Lord Brahma himself. You know, that's the demoniac mentality. Yes, yes. And as Prabhupada is saying, you know, there's always this envy there. Let me see, where was it? Here, you know. The devotees of Lord Shiva and Goddess Durga are always envious of Vaishnavas 
who are devotees of Lord Vishnu. So there is this envy there. And again, very clear, as soon as sense gratification, power, you know, is a form of sense gratification, a very subtle and very intoxicating form of sense gratification, to have power over others, you know. So, um, yeah, whenever there is sense gratification, people strive for sense gratification, immediately envy becomes a part of it because then you're immediately envious. Oh, maybe somebody is more enjoying than me. And we use our position to establish our superiority. superiority you know? So this envy, I mean, we can actually, when we look at this whole discussion, we can very clearly see that this eternal struggle between demons and devotees, this also goes on on a lower level in our hearts. Yes, you know, we all have a little Hiranyakashipu there in our hearts. I like to see Hiranyakashipu as the embodiment of envy and false ego. Yes, my God, really, you know. So, and we all have a little Hiranyakashipu in our hearts. And the same battle between the divine and the demoniac also goes on in us, isn't it? Yes, yes, you know. So, and in the same way how in universal affairs, sometimes the, the um, devotees are victorious, and then at other times, the demoniac side gets empowered and becomes victorious, and then, ooh, there's a battle and some fear, and, and the devotees are running to the Lord and appeal, appealing to him for help. Same thing is going on in our hearts too, you know? Sometimes, you know, when we take up the process of Krishna consciousness, so we're doing pretty well, we feel some relief of anxieties and, and, and. So, and then as we become purified, there's also some little opulences coming along, you know? We may get some little facility or we may get some uh, fame, we become famous or we become also more beautiful, more attractive actually, you know? The spirit soul is all attractive, so as we become purified, the beauty of the soul shines through and we become attractive. So, and then maybe due to some bad association or some offenses against the Vaishnavas or whatever it may be, then all of a sudden the demoniac side comes up, you know, and we try to enjoy those opulences. And then we may face some crisis in our spiritual life, you know, and all kinds of anatas come to the surface. So, and then there is again this battle, you know, between the demoniac and divine. And then hopefully we do the same thing what the demigods do. They run to the Lord and ask for shelter and protection. So hopefully once we realize the demoniac sides coming up in us, then we also run to Guru, to our um, well-wishing friends, mentors, counselors, Bhakti Viksha leaders, whatever name we may want to give them, but a senior well-wishing friend who we can ask for guidance. Oh, please, Prabhu, help me. I can feel all these you know, um, desires coming up, you know, last anger, whatnot, you know, so, and then hopefully, you know, the divine side is strengthened again by seriously taking shelter, kicking out all the unwanted qualities from the heart. So in that way we can see, you know, this battle also goes on within us, you know. And actually this is also uh, the lesson we should learn in regards to Nishingadev's appearance here on Yakashipu. You know, sometimes we may think, oh yes, Hiranyakashipu is such a heavy demon. Thank God, you know, 
here we are not surrounded by demons like this or whatever we might think. And we might not realize that actually these leaders are there for our personal instruction. They're relevant to us personally. We also carry such Shivanyakashipu in our hearts. You know? Yes, yes. And this envy, well, it's also one of my favorite topics. <laughs> because, yeah, often we are not even aware how envy affects us. We don't even realize, you know, because it is so subtle. And in one, in one verse in the fifth canto in the word-for-word -word translation, there it says the Sanskrit word, kalaha, and then translation, the envious, and then Prabhupada puts in brackets, almost everyone. <laughs> you know, Prabhupada sometimes, ah, he really hits the nail on the head, you know, almost everyone. <laughs> because we may like to keep ourselves in this belief that everybody else is envious, especially of me, but I'm not envious, of course not, you know. Right? <laughs> so that's why Prabhupada, in such a humorous way, he puts in brackets almost everyone. So, well, if we are a little humble and if we notice this at all, you know, we have to come to terms, okay, maybe it includes me also. <laughs> if it's almost everyone, maybe it's also me, you know. And to really detect how envy affects us, not so easy because it is so subtle. It is so subtle. There is a nice verse in Purport in 4th Canto, 8th chapter, verse 34, where it is described. If we had more time, we could go through it, but we don't have so much time. So there it is described in detail how envy actually manifests. Even to, even to juniors and equals and seniors. So I like to understand envy as a certain state of heart. You know, because often we think envy is only there uh, towards people who have something which we don't have, towards people in a superior position. Yeah, all right, definitely. It depends how you define the word envy. But I like to understand it as a state of heart where we want to be the supreme enjoyer. And it's a certain consciousness. And that actually comes out in all relationships. Yes. And we often don't even realize. You know? So let us quickly understand. So towards seniors, how does envy manifest? Well. We like to ignore them. Don't give them any importance. We like to diminish their position. Ah, oh, they're nothing. You know? Yes. You know, I mean, sometimes I have whole seminars on these topics, and often I divide my audience into groups and ask them to perform role plays. Showing the envious and non-envious behavior towards seniors equals juniors. This is really funny, you know, and you realize, oh my God, that's, that sounds like me. <laughs> so role plays are very, very good tools to deepen the learning experience, you know. So you imagine senior person comes, visits the temple, you know, the envious behavior would be, oh, who is this person? You know, how much does he know anyway? You know, we try to reduce his position. We don't give him any importance. You know, we don't greet him nicely and welcomely. We don't inquire from him or serve. No, we just ignore. The person is nobody. Or we find fault and criticize. Oh, we often do this without even realizing. Let, let's imagine somebody gives a class, and then a friend to us says, oh, that was a nice class, 
And then we say, yes, but actually it was not so shastric. Person didn't quote so many verses. You know? So even if it is true, but just the fact that we feel some urge to comment on this, that shows envy. Oh, we do this often and we think we have a right. Well, it's true. Can't I say the truth? Can't I say my opinion? He didn't quote so many verses. You know? So what's wrong with that? You know? But actually just the fact that we like to, we can't help ourselves, we have to say it. <laughs> that shows envy. Or with Kirtan, when we say, oh, that was a nice Kirtan, and we say, yeah, but, you know, his tune was not so good and his Madanga playing, mm, you know. So, <laughs> even if it is true, if we really look in our heart, why do we make this comment? Just to reduce that person's position because we are envious. Yes. Yeah, so mm, we can detect, you know. So, I mean, this does, discussions are also meant to detect the envy in our hearts and not in other people's hearts. Because what does that mean? It means envy, you know. If we say, oh, now I understand why this person talks to me like this and that, you know. So, again... We try and find, you know, <laughs> the problem in other people's hearts. So again, you know, it's envy. Or towards envy towards juniors often manifests that we talk to them in a condescending way. We push them down, you know. Yes. Sometimes constant, heavily chastisement can be you know, a sign. If we do this, we should look in our hearts. Why do we always have this need to put others down? Maybe because we want to establish our superior position. Maybe that's what's behind it. You know? Yes, yes. Or what else do we have? Yeah, when we make fun out of a person on their expense, you know, making them look foolish, this is not so nice. It's all different ways how to show that we are superior. Right? And then envy towards equals. How does that manifest? Well, we are proud of our activities. We like to chant our glories. There's some competition there. The mood is well, yeah, we are equal, but actually, I'm a little superior. <laughs> and we try and establish that, you know? Let's imagine two traveling preachers meet, you know? And then, in the name of sharing, they show off and try to impress the other person, what they're all doing. Oh, look, here I was at London Rath Yatra leading the Kirtas. You want to see the YouTube video? I show you, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and then I was giving the lecture and, oh, there was thousands of people and this, that, this, that. And then at the end we say, okay, Prabhu, and what about you? What are you doing? You know? So by then the other person, okay, well, you, you're really far out, you know. Wow, I, I've got nothing to offer you, you know. So these kind of competitive um, things are happening between equals who are not free from envy, you know. Or even we may know the experience. If two expert cooks cooking lunch for groomage. Ooh, this can be an intense experience. If it, is, if it is one expert and a helper, no problem. But two experts, don't you know groomage doesn't like that? It's not his diet. Don't cook that. And I know he told me and, 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 you know. Or I've, I've seen how people don't even serve an item you know, which somebody else cooked. Gumaj will not like that. He cannot eat it. No need to show him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
all these things are going on, you know, and we don't even realize, we don't identify it as being envy, you know. Yeah, so this is the, the little Hiranyakashipu there in our hearts, right? Yeah, and I mean, Prabhupada gave some nice, he made a nice statement where he almost gives like a, a mission a mission statement for, for ISKCON, actually. That's in the fifth canto. Prabhupada says, one person is envious of another, and this is the way of the material world. The Krishna consciousness movement aims at creating an atmosphere of non-envy. Of course, it is not possible for everyone to become, a Krishna, to become Krishna conscious, but the Krishna consciousness movement can create an exemplary society wherein there is no envy. So this is a very nice vision, you know, even in a temple community, that we have this goal of creating a society, an, 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 an ideal model, an example, where there is no envious dealings amongst the devotees. I mean, and I'm saying that not because I noticed there are so many envious dealings or something, definitely not like that. But yeah, as we say, these things are very subtle and often we don't even detect them. You know, we don't identify it, we don't realize it. You know? So yes, and there's also statements, you know, when when we actually act in a non-envious way, then we will never be affected by the threefold miseries of this material world. Prabhupada makes that statement in 4.834 where he's dis discussing, you know, how the envious and non-envious person should, uh, how the envy envious person unfortunately acts and the non-envious person should act. There Prabhupada three times he makes that statement if we can just act according to these instructions, then we will be happy in this material world, Prabhupada even says. Wow, so that sounds promising. So one can actually be happy in this material world because actually we can say, if there's no envious dealings, in one sense we are not even part of the material world. We are already in the spiritual world. Because in the spiritual world, one, one sign is that there's absence of envy because there's no sense gratification. And if there's no sense gratification, then there's also no envy, you know? Yes. So if, if we live in an atmosphere free of envy, then we're already in the spiritual world, actually. You know? Yes. Yeah, so, and I mean, as Prabhupada makes this declaration here, quoting 931 from Bhagavad Gita, O son of Kunti, declared boldly that my devotee never perishes. So again, that statement can also be applied on our personal level within the heart. So even though the demoniac sides in us, the lower natures, may come out occasionally, and, 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 but actually, if we just stick to the process, then the devotee in our heart will never perish, you know? Because also whatever little progress, whatever service we may have um, performed, this will be of eternal benefit, even if we don't make it in this life, back to God. It, it will be of eternal benefit, so that's, how my devotee never perishes, you know, that's how uh, Krishna gives that, um, uh, you know, that uh, guarantee, you know, and that's very hopeful and promising. So now, with Nishinga Chaturdasi coming up, Lord Nishingadev, he is expert heart surgeon. And I mean, you can really observe those places who have big Lord Nishingadev and worship them, 
whew, there's intense purification going on. You know, Mayapur. I just spoke to somebody the other day, and he was saying, oh, Mayapur, always all kinds of stuff comes up, you know, in our marriage. Oh, you know, as soon as we get to Mayapur, ooh, it all comes up to the surface, you know. That's Lord Nishingadev. Yes. Or over the pandemic, I got stuck mainly in Germany, and there's a rural community, a farm community called Simhachalam. So not the Simhachalam in South India, but in Germany. It's one of the few temples in ISKCON worldwide that have big Lord Nishingadev. But he's the peaceful one. Not the Ugra one, but the peaceful one with Pallad on his lap. You know, looks like a nice cat. <laughs> nice big cat. But still, nice big cat. Well, there's a lot of intense purification <laughs> going on when you, when you stay in such communities. You know, oh yes. And you can really see it's Lord Nishingadev. Yeah. And actually, I once heard a nice statement of Satchinanda Swami Maharaj, who said, yes, Lord Nishingadev, he prepares our heart so we can approach Radha Krishna. Yes. You know? So he pulls all the demoniac aspects from our heart, and as we become free from these unwanted and demoniac tendencies, you know, in subtle ways demoniac, then proportionally we can actually approach Radha Krishna. Then our heart becomes a, a suitable sitting place for, you know, Govinda, uh, Radha Vallabha to really take their seat there. But as long as there's so many little Hiranyakashi poos also in there, you know, Radha Vallabha will not mm, feel so comfortable there, you know. Yeah, so that is already a little preview on next week's Sunday's Nishinga Chaturdasi. Actually, the last few years I was for Nishinga Chaturdasi always in Samhachalam in Germany. Wow, they have a three to four day festival there. Yeah, you know, it's a whole different thing, you know. And they do amazing things with Lord Nishingadev. All different darshans. They have the forest darshan, where they go in the forest and they get all these trees and bushes. And at that time in May, there's already some flowering um, bushes and trees in the forest. So they make a whole elaborate darshan there with Lord Nishingadev being in the forest because he, he likes to be in the forest, you know. And then another darshan, which is really unique. I don't think you will find anything like this in the whole world of Iskon. Is that Lord Nishingadev gets an outfit made from sand dash. Sand dash. Yes, you heard rightly. Sand dash. What we eat, you know. They color the sand dash in all different colors, pink, purple, blue, yellow, green. And then there's about eight or ten people who cover Lord Nishingadev's body, making an outfit of colored sand dash. If you look on the internet, you will find pictures. And last few years I was always taking part in this making Lord Nishingadev's dodi, purple dodi with yellow, nice little decorations on it, and, 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 and it's, it's quite amazing, you know. So Lord Nishingadev has a sand dash outfit because he likes sweets also, you know. <laughs> and all the, the skin parts are covered with burfi, skin color, and then the, the clothing, jewelry, decorations, is all with colored sand ash, you know. So I don't think you will find this anywhere else in the world, you know. And then they even swing Lord Nishingadev with Lakshmi Devi. 
And first I was wondering, hmm, swinging Lord Nishingadev sounds a little bit like Rasa Bas somehow, you know, one can think. So I asked uh, Krishna Kshetramaj, you may not know him, he doesn't come to this part of the world, but he was for many years uh, Pujari um, for Lord Nishingadev, and he knows all the different temples in South India. And there's Nishingadev Temple, and he was saying to me, no, no, Lord Nishingadev, he likes to swing with his consort, no problem. No problem. In South India, they swing him. So, okay. I mean, Mayapur, Ugra, Nishinga, mm, <laughs> wouldn't be the right mood, you know, but Lakshmi Nishinga, no problem. You know? Yeah, so they have all kinds of amazing things going on there. So if you are ever in Europe around that time, don't miss to go to Simhachalam for Lord Nishinga's appearance. It's really worthwhile. Yes. Okay, so let me see if we have any questions. Since the topic is also practical about envy, Demoniac side within Peru. But maybe we should follow a little bit the Vaishnava etiquette. He was just stretching. What is the significance of half lion, half human form? Well, because, you know, he wanted to become immortal and he asked Lord Brahma for the benediction to become immortal. And then Lord Brahma said, well, I am not immortal, so I cannot give you something which I don't have. And then, you know, Hiranyakashipu um, made these conditions that... Did I say Hiranyakashipu wanted to get immortal on a Shingadev? Of course, Hiranyakashipu. <laughs> so then he, then he gave the conditions. Okay, let me not be killed, not by a man, not a human being, not by an animal, not daytime, not nighttime, not on the earth and the land and, and, and. You know, so... By fulfilling all those conditions which Hiranyakashipu made, not to be killed in this way, that way, and the other way, that's how Krishna appeared as Lord Nishingadev and killed him anyway. You know? And that's why he appeared in this form as half lion, half human. So that fulfills that benediction, you know that Lord Brahma gave. He agreed to that benediction, you know. So that's why he appeared like that. But then afterwards, Nishingadev said to Lord Brahma, better you don't give these kind of benedictions to these demons in the future, you know. Because, yeah, Hiranyakashipu was really upsetting the whole universe there, you know, with his power and false ego and, 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 you know. Yeah. Okay, what else? Yes, Peru. Mm. Actually, how to, how to remove the envy from our heart. Actually, if I may already make a little announcement, some of you may know I have published two books. No, four books actually, and two are available. So I have a little book table out there for those who are interested. Actually, in both of these books, I give the solution. Because false ego, envy, you know, how to get rid of false ego, um, it's the same, basically, same steps. It's all in the book. If you want to know more, get the book. But just to satisfy you, I will quickly mention the steps. There's actually five steps 
and they're very practical and very helpful and they really work. I speak out of my own experience. I use them and they work. But it requires some internal work. So step number one is always we have to hear about the topic. I mean, today we cut the whole discussion on envy very brief. You know, I have a two-hour seminar on this, you know, usually. So first step is always hearing about it. Then we become conscious. We become mindful. If we don't hear, we are in ignorance. We don't even realize. So hearing is always the first step. The next step is desiring to get rid of it. You know, after hearing, oh my God, you know, this is me. And with this envy in the heart, I will just not be able to get out of here. I'll better do something about this. I have to. Otherwise, I can't taste the really sweet taste of devotional service. So there has to be a burning desire to get rid of envy or false ego. That's step number two. Then step number three is being introspective and honest. Always looking in our hearts. Why did I say this? Why did I do this? What, what just happened in this unpleasant exchange I had with a devotee? What, what took place there? How did I contribute to this? So without this introspection and honesty, we actually cannot really make advancement. I'm describing that in this false ego book because the, the false ego contaminates the intelligence and the contaminated intelligence will always find justifications why I am right and everybody else is wrong. Yes. So we need this introspection and honesty and at that point we actually need the help of a mentor a well-wishing friend, a counselor, a coach, whatever you want to call them. Because we often cannot see, because the effect of false ego, you know, it blocks our ears, it blocks our intelligence, we can't hear, we can't understand. We need this well-wishing friend who has no other interest except helping us in our spiritual journey. And from that person we will accept Hopefully, a correction and a reminder, you know, that, hey, you know, this was a bit too much. You, you, you acted a bit on the ego here, you know, just cool it down. We need somebody like that, you know. So, first step, hearing. Second, desiring. Introspection and honesty. Then, fourth step, we catch ourselves doing the wrong thing. That's already progress, because before we were doing the wrong thing so many times and we didn't even realize. So at least now we realize, oh my God, again, I couldn't help myself. I had to make that envious remark and I had to put the person down and I had to put my two bobs worth in and, and, and you know. Yes, so we, we um, catch ourselves doing the wrong thing. So now my question to you, what's the next step after catching yourself doing the wrong thing? Calling mentors advice, yeah. But even more powerful, huh? Apologize, something more internal, please. Huh? Glorify, more internal. Yes, praying, crying out to Krishna. Oh, please, Krishna, help. Free me from this envy, false ego, because they are demons. And we can't, you know, kill them out of our own accord. So what did the bridge bussies do when the demons attacked? They didn't fight the demons themselves. No, they ran to Krishna, you know. So same thing. We have to call out to Lord Nishingadev. We have to invite him in our heart, please, Lord Nishingadev, free me from this unwanted um, behavior. 
You know? Only he can do it. We've been carrying this false ego for so many lifetimes. So many lifetimes. It's so deep, so deep-rooted, so subtle. We can't free ourselves from our own strength. We need the Lord's help. But our problem is we have some hope, you know, that this envy and false ego will give us some juicy fruits, you know. Yes, this ego satisfaction. Ooh, very juicy fruit, but only in the beginning. And then you have a very bitter taste, and it ends in distress and conflict and, 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 you know. Yeah, so that's our problem. We are not so convinced that we should get rid of this, and we don't wholeheartedly invite Lord Nishinga Dave, you know. So gearing up to Nishinga Chaturdasi, we can already prepare our mindset, you know. So and if we do these last three steps, introspection and honesty, catching ourselves doing the wrong thing, crying out to Krishna, introspection and honesty, catching ourselves doing the wrong thing, crying out to Krishna, then sooner or later we come to the next point where we catch ourselves doing the right thing. It really works. Yes, you try. That we will get to a point where we realize, wow, a few weeks ago I would have reacted differently on this matter, but now I could just let it go by. I, it didn't agitate me. I didn't have to have the last word. And, 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 you know, so, and I could just take the humble position, you know. But then hopefully we don't get puffed up about it and think, oh, see, I'm, I'm doing really great. Now we realize actually it's by Krishna's mercy, you know. Yes, it's not me, you know. So, and this requires a lot of internal work. We actually have to always reflect ourselves that we are conscious, you know, because Prabhupada was saying before becoming Krishna conscious, we have to become conscious first. And we are so unconscious, actually. We just go through the days in a pretty unconscious way, doing and saying things, and we are not even aware and mindful and then end. So we have to become conscious of how we act, what we say, what, what effect we have on others, why we say things, and, 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 you know. And always reflect and catch ourselves doing the wrong thing and cry out to Krishna. A lot of hard work, you know. Yes, that's the only way. If we don't do that very easily, we sweep it all under the Almira. <laughs> And we hope that nobody sees and notices. And then we maintain all these unwanted things. <clears throat> and then we actually commit the tenth offense to chanting the holy name, to maintain material attachments even after understanding so many instructions on this matter. You know, so the, the um, material attachment is that attachment to ego satisfaction, that attachment to, you know, being the supreme. Enjoyer, controller, and, 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 you know, yes, very subtle. So the whole process of Krishna consciousness is very deep and inter internal, actually. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, ultimately, you know, as we become purified, we develop that spiritual vision of seeing every living entity as part and parcel of the Lord, Paramatma being in their heart. But this is a pretty high platform, you know. We can't just say, well, just see every person like that. Why don't you do it? You know? No. We, we need some purification to get there, to get that divine vision, you know. And the way to get it is by going through these five steps and actually really weeding our garden of the bhakti latta there. Huh? Hearing about the topic, desiring to uproot these unwanted things, introspection and honesty, catching ourselves doing the wrong thing, crying out to Krishna. They are in the books which I have out there on the table. 
So if anybody of you wants to check them out, please come approach me. I have a strong desire to get these things out into the world because they're very practical and useful and relevant for all of us. So yes, I'll be out there, so please come. I think maybe we should finish because it is the time is up. Hmm? But if you have also some personal matters, you know, I'm I'm around for another two and a half weeks. Twenty-six of May I will move on. So I can be available also for personal exchanges and talks and whatever, you know. Okay, thank you so much for your kind attention. Shila Prabhupada ki, Samaveda Bhaktavinda ki, Gantachimad Bhagavatam ki, Gaurapemanandi, Ali Ali Bhagavad Krishna.